friends, let us listen once more uh, for God's word, beginning with the third verse of the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel and then picking up on the screens with the fifth verse. If your brother and sister sins against you, Jesus says, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied with this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep, Jesus continues. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The Power of Small. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that your spirit will dwell amongst us now, that through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight will be pleasing for you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there's a small Catholic college outside Philadelphia called Rosemont College. I've never been there. I know next to nothing about it, but what I do know is their motto. I came across it a few years ago, and it stuck with me. The official motto of Rosemont College is the power of the small. Their undergraduate student body is just a hair bigger than my graduating class in high school, about 730 people. Rosemont contends that it is their small size that allows them to give focused attention to each individual student. And from that focused attention, they are uniquely positioned to have a much bigger impact on their students. The power of the small. It's kind of a bold thing to hang on to a motto like that in this world today, don't you think? turn on the TV or read the newspaper or get online and constantly we're being barraged with words like bigger, stronger, faster. This will do this great thing for you that will lift you up against that person who does not have what you should have. It's a bold stance, particularly for college. The last email I got from my alma mater was announcing to me that they were imploding my beloved junior year dorm. And in its place, at the bottom of the email, they had this graphic of what they were building in its place, and it was this giant palace of a dormitory. I've never seen something so big that they're going to build on the site where they have demolished the dorm. It's, it's indicative of what 
we're used to in our world. That in order to change the world, you have to be, number one, you have to do the most. You have to be everywhere. What's interesting, though, is I think we sometimes think that this is a new mindset, that we're sort of unique in these times, hearing this messaging of supersized everything. But in fact, it's not really that new. In fact, in our passage today, the disciples, 2,000 years ago, they are feeling that same exact pressure. The reason I wanted to start with those two verses before we began where the lectionary has us beginning is because we learn what it is the disciples are responding to. Jesus tells them about the scale of forgiveness that is expected of them. Don't forgive just once. If someone does something against you and they repent, forgive them again. Think about that. Think about forgiving someone seven times in a row. They do something to you. They say sorry. You say, all right. They turn around right afterwards. They do the same thing to you. They say, I'm sorry. You say, okay, I forgive you. They do. Just imagine that. There's not a limit on it. Seven's not meant to be the limit. Jesus is making a point here of the magnitude of forgiveness that is expected of his disciples. And so the disciples' response here is so predictable because it's what our response tends to be. If it's a big task, then God, increase us increase our faith so that we can be up to the task. Make us bigger, make us stronger, make us better to do this well. But what does Jesus do instead? He turns the whole thing on its head. Jesus goes small. Let me tell you about a mustard seed. Let me tell you about the power of the small. You know, from the beginning, God has shown partiality to the small. I mean, think about the opening chapters of Genesis, the opening chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, what does God do? God creates creation. Now, if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains or to the Grand Canyon or the Himalayas or the Alps or anywhere like that, creation feels really big, doesn't it? If you just stand on the beach and look out across the ocean, creation feels really big, doesn't it? But on the scale of the cosmos, which God has also created, we are suddenly made aware of the fact that we are very, very small. I think of that amazing Carl Sagan quote. You all remember Carl Sagan? He helped command the Voyager expedition. And at the very end of that expedition, he convinced NASA to turn the camera around and take a picture from however many millions of miles away, looking back at Earth. And the picture that they ended up printing was of Earth as this tiny, pale blue dot suspended in the sun. A fraction of a pixel of a dot, Carl Sagan said. From the beginning, God has shown partiality to the small. I think of when Samuel went to call David to anoint a new king, he goes to Jesse and he asks Jesse to have his sons pass in front of him and Jesse pulls out his sons and they're these big strapping young men and Samuel goes down the line one by one by one and he gets to the end and he says, is this all you got? And Jesse says, well, there is one more, my youngest, my smallest, a boy named David out in the field. 
in that field that he had made. And then God comes into the flesh of a young girl. Over and over through time, the lesson has been taught to us that even the most ordinary child, right? What is it in our passage today? A mulberry tree. Even the most mundane of tasks, coming in for a meal after a hard day's work, even the smallest thing, a mustard seed, and by extension, the normal life that you and I lead, even the most normal of people, a retiree, a a teacher, a banker, a doctor, a, a public servant, even the most normal of people carries the potential within themselves to change the world, to upend norms, to show others glimpses of God's kingdom. The story of the mustard seed is the lesson that the point is not the quantity of our faith. It's not the purity of our dogma, but rather the power of God's grace. A few weeks ago, I wrote in the newsletter about an experience I had just returned from. Two days, a very quick sort of up and back to Moncrief, North Carolina, where I spent about 48 hours with John McCall. John McCall has been in our church before. He's a mission co-worker of the Presbyterian Church USA in Taiwan, who we have supported as a congregation for many, many years. He's one of these people who, when you sit in his presence, the thought occurs to you after about 10 minutes of conversation, holy cow, here is an actual Christian. He's a remarkable, remarkable man. John brought with him about 20 Taiwanese pastors who he works with regularly in Taiwan to Montreat for this time of rest and retreat and relaxation. And for two days of that retreat, he invited American pastors from South Carolina, Georgia mainly, but a few other places to come and to gather with these Taiwanese pastors. And when we got there, we were assigned prayer partners. And my prayer partner was this man named Yuen Jie. He's probably late 30s, early 40s. He serves a small church high in the highlands of Taiwan or the mountain area of the interior of that island. And he's a pastor's kid. John actually first got to know UNGA when, and he had to really phonetically spell that for me, like U-N-G-A. That's his Mandarin name, uh, UNGA. John has known UNGA for years, since he was a teenager even, because he's a pastor's kid. So John first knew his father and worked with his father and then came to know his then-teenage son named UNGA. And during our closing worship of that time together in Montreat, John told us a story about an experience UNGA had when he was a teenager. He used to ride his bike to and from school every week with his best friend, another young boy who was uh, not Christian, which isn't unusual, only about 4.5% people in Taiwan are Christian. And they would ride their bikes together every day. And on one particular day, for whatever reason, they came to a stoplight. And UNGA turned to his friend and he asked him, what are you doing on Saturday night? His friend said, I don't think I'm doing anything. And UNGA said, you want to come with me to youth group? They do youth group on Saturday nights in Taiwan. And his friend said, 
Now, a few weeks later, John was visiting UNGA's church, and UN pulled John aside, and he pointed to the guitar player in the praise band. Hey, John, do you recognize who that is? John said, I don't recognize him. He said, that's, that's my friend who I invited to church at the stoplight. He just kept coming after that, and now he's, he's playing in the praise band. Now, a few years after that, John was beginning a new semester at the seminary he teaches at in Taipei. And he was surprised when he looked up and among the faces of his new students there in his seminary classroom was the guitar player, the one from the stoplight that UNGA had invited to youth group all those years before. And a few years after that, John was in that now pastor's church. The friend graduated from seminary and took a church of his own, and John went to worship with him one Sunday, and the friend pulled John aside, and he said, look, look at the praise band. Do you see who the drummer is? John said, no, that's my brother. He never came to church until I started pastoring. I invited him to come, and he just kept coming back. And these three kids, these three kids, these are my three kids, and those kids running around there, those are my brother's three kids. Point of the story, the reason John was telling me this, the power of the song, the stoplight, the invitation, the tiny seed has led to this literal and figurative tree of faith with branches of young children now reaching far out from that very first conversation. with you. I walked in here on Tuesday. We've been sort of working the whole week to get this room ready technologically and set up, and we were testing the sound system on Tuesday. And I was standing up here on the stage and doing just sort of a test, and I looked out, and I said out loud, I said, oh, this room is small. Like conceptually, I have known that months now, but when I was standing up here with an awareness that we'd be in here right now, I looked around and I thought to myself, this is different. It's small, right? We're shoulder to shoulder here. It's a little harder. Some rows may be a little easier than others to put some buffer in between you and and your neighbor, but we're a little cozier. It's small. Later that day, I was starting to prepare for this sermon. I was reading the story mustard seed. And I was reminded, yes, it's small, but God, God is so big. I began to wonder myself, I wonder what connections might happen in this space now that those of you who love to sit in the very back row of the sanctuary are forced to see the people who love to sit at the very back of the transepts. I wondered what connections might happen now that we're going out of doors and down hallways that before we we never went down or had any reason to go through. I wondered myself how not having your seat anymore 
might mean that the Sunday will come, and maybe it's today, but maybe it's 10 weeks from now. When because you were forced to try somewhere new, God put someone next to you who desperately needed you to be the person next to them on that day. To share with them the good news of Jesus Christ through your presence and through your words. I began to wonder myself how just having a change of scenery might shuffle us up enough that we will hear and see in our hearts and in our eyes and in our minds God at work in ways that we never were able to before. Because yes, this is small. God is big. God doesn't need a seminary degree or a theology textbook or frankly even a pulpit. God doesn't need a perfect Sunday school attendee or someone who's in the sanctuary worshiping every single week, although I must say I think those things help. (laughs) On World Communion Sunday, we're reminded that, that God doesn't particularly care about what country we were born in or what color our skin is, although I think God works uniquely to our, our national identities and contexts. God doesn't care, though, where it is we come from. God doesn't care about our age or our perceived or real ability. All God cares about, all God needs is a soft touch, a kind word, an invitation. All God needs is a piece of bread and a dip of Jesus. All God needs is is you, is us, is people. All God needs is now. Rosemont College, never been there, don't know anything about it, but I like your mustard seed. And if the story of the mustard seed is any indicator, I think God does too. Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.